they? Well, turn with me to Mark chapter 7. We're going to be finishing chapter 7 this morning. And uh, I, I had to count this morning how many months already we've been in the book of Mark. It's been eight months already, and eight rich months they have been. Uh, I've just been delighted just to be with you guys every Sunday morning going through the book of Mark, learning more about who Jesus is. Isn't that what church really is all about, And it? Just knowing who Jesus is. Becoming more familiar of his ways and that they might touch our lives. That it might not just be something that hits the intellect. Although we need to know the stories and maybe where they are and in the gospels. But the word of God was always meant to change our life. It was always meant to have an impact on us. As we see throughout the scriptures... Jesus is pointing us again to himself. And really he's the only human being that could actually do that, right? He's the only one that can actually point to himself and be right in that, knowing that he's the one that gives us eternal life. And Mark, throughout these last seven chapters, has been pointing to him chapter by chapter, verse by verse, saying he is the one. Give your life to him. And other times he's warning the Pharisees, give your life, humble yourself, or else. Right? That there are implications every time we hear the word of God. There's something that should happen in the human heart. There's there's something that should stir us every Sunday. It shouldn't be the music or the pad on the keys per se. Although music does stir our hearts in that emotional way, but the word of God should do that every Sunday. And here we are again, looking at another story in the gospels that, you know, many of us have read through just in our quiet times or maybe have heard growing up or Sunday school. And I find myself asking the Lord every time I come to these passages, just saying, Lord, please help me to see this in a new way, in a fresh way in a way that would change me, uh, in a way that would meet the need this morning. And as I was preparing this, I couldn't help but think of a few individuals in our church that are really going through some really difficult times. I couldn't help but think that this would be incredibly encouraging, not only to them, but also to people that you might share this with. That this is another incredible story that just shows that Jesus does all things well doesn't he? And really that's the title of this message this morning is Jesus does all things well. That's the last line of, one of the last lines, uh, verse 37 in, in this, but let's begin with verse 31 and read the story. And then I have five ways that we can see that Jesus really does all things well. All right. So Mark chapter seven, verse 31 to 37. And he, and again, he, which is Jesus, went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon, the Sea of Galilee, within the region of the Decapolis. Now, we've already visited there back in Mark chapter 5, if you remember, uh, with the demoniac. And we'll get there in a minute. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, or he was mute. And they pleaded with him to lay his hand on him. And Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself 
and put his fingers in his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. That's very unusual. Try doing that in San Francisco. And looking up to heaven with a sigh, he said to them, Ephetha, that is, be open. And his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he was ordering them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. And he makes even the deaf to hear and the mute speak. And so the first thing I want to point out to you in verse 31 is that Jesus faithfully fulfills his ministry from the Father. We know that from even John chapter uh, 4 and and even 5. He only does what the Father is doing, right? And he also says this, that he he does the will of my Father. The the food in which Jesus eats is, is the will of the Father, He goes around to Galilee and then we'll see later on and Mark going down to Judea. But in this case, he went to the 10 cities of Decapolis. It was, he kind of went a roundabout way. It was almost kind of like a horseshoe. Uh, And it's some commentators say, but it's about 120 miles. Uh, Can you imagine? This is on foot, by the way. Um, People were very fit during that time, I would imagine. Um, (laughs) And so they... Uh, He went pretty much uh, from D.C. to Richmond, but really by the way of Philadelphia, if you know your geography. It's kind of a roundabout way of getting back down where he needs to go. And so Jesus was fulfilling his father's plan. He only did what the father was telling him to do. And so he found himself back in Decapolis, which just means 10 cities. And he was beginning to do ministry there. In Matthew 15... Verse 29 and 31 is the parallel passage to this because Mark is the only one that gives this story, these details of this unique story of the saliva and touching his tongue and looking up to heaven and sighing and then saying this Aramaic word, which is translated be open in Greek. And so Matthew 15, 29 to 31, it says this, kind of a summary of what he did in this region It says, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, having gone up on the mountain. He was sitting there and a large crowd came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet and he healed them. And so these pagan idol worshipers who were in this region were beginning to bring their people who were sick to Jesus, mainly because they realized that their gods, small g gods, could not do this kind of work. And so they were, of course, like any of us would find a miracle worker. I suppose we would all then bring our people who were sick, our friends, our family, our neighbors, and bring them to Jesus because his power was being on display. There was no doubt that he had power to cast out demons, to uh, heal the lame, the sick, the uh, he, 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 we've seen in the last seven chapters, he healed lepers, one of the worst diseases of that time, uh, raising people even from the dead. He is the miracle worker. And Mark is continually showing us that he's backing up his message of salvation by the things that he did. 
I'd say the second thing you could probably point out is that he cares for the marginalized. Some man, I think that's kind of interesting. It says here that some man, we never know this man's name. Uh, I suppose it doesn't really matter uh, who that is. As I was even studying this, it, it is often like that in the passage, right? Seraphonician woman, some man, a daughter, a son. It's really all of us, right? In a lot of ways. That we want such significance. And I would say even in the day we live in today where we want, we want to be known. I, was, I would imagine that if you wrote this story and you got healed like this, that you might nudge Mark and say, if you're going to write something about Jesus someday, you might want to include my name. It's a pretty cool story, isn't it? But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit didn't want the name in there. And I think that the more and more, even in our culture, I think it's important that we realize how really insignificant we are, comparatively speaking, to the Lord and his work. But a blip, right? Just a little dot on the timeline, not even a speck, and maybe not even that when you think about the thousands of years. We remember very important names, and I don't doubt that the Lord does use people to influence people, but, you know, I often think, are we okay with insignificance? Are we okay with not being the guy or not being the the person in charge or uh, getting all the attention? And I think that just the small little details in your Bible, they... They matter much. And really, after everything's said and done in your life, it, I suppose if you even found the invention to some sort of cancer, you'd probably be forgotten after so many years. Really insignificant. You know, and I kind of like that sometimes. I like knowing that, that I'm really nothing. <laughs> I'm made in the image of God and I'm so cared for and so loved. Of course, we see here that he cares for the marginalized and he cares for people, both child and adult. He cares for all sorts of classes, women, slaves, minors, people who at that time were not educated enough to even keep the law. And in this category would be the deaf, the mute, They had nothing. They couldn't hear. They couldn't talk. Yeah, they could see, but they couldn't interact with society. They were marginalized, not even enough to keep the law. They were pretty much nothing. And then on top of that, you even have the religious people, because this man came from a very demonized, paganized culture, like the Decapolis, like we saw with that man who has had a legion of demons, 6,000 demons living and residing in him. There is no way man can control him. And Jesus healed him. But not even on top of that, those classes, the religious thought, this is no doubt God's judgment. 
The only reason why this man is blind or, not, or deaf, the only reason why he has an ailment, a problem, the only reason why he's marginalized is because it's his, his fault. Somehow, some way, the, they understood that theologically in their system. And we get that from even John chapter 9. You remember? Uh, in verse 1, it says here that the, his disciples asked Jesus, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? I mean, it's, it's, it's one of their fault. I mean, that's why. He's like, no, it's, there's nothing to do with their parents. It's nothing to do with his sin. And Jesus would say things like that, wouldn't he? He'd wake us up from our theological mold. He'd wake us up from our uh, religious systems, our way of thinking. That's why he gives us the book of Job, doesn't he? That's why he gives us Ecclesiastes. There's just certain things we can't figure out in life. We don't know why they happen. We don't understand why this man was the way he was. And it's most likely he was born this way because he never heard any speech and therefore he couldn't speak. He had a difficulty speaking, which he was most likely mute, maybe few sounds, but people couldn't understand him. He was useless, marginalized. And then it says here that they had to bring him to to Christ. They had to bring him. And not only that, but they pleaded, it says. It says it in parkaleo. It just means implore. They begged him. They said, please help this man. Nobody's able to help him. There's, there's no magic that we've tried that worked. Isn't that the way of the world? Don't you look at the news and say, nothing's going to work. Nothing's going to work. That bill won't work. Who are we kidding? Nothing works. And until we get there, in fact, I would say until our friends even understand that, and we for our friends understand that, I don't think we'll ever get to Christ. We'll never get to the source, the one who can actually make a difference, who can actually open up blind eyes and open up deaf ears, open up the mouth that's mute, be able to sing the praises and be the man or woman that God has made them to be, be even before the fall. He couldn't speak for himself. How many people do you know can't speak for themselves? And I'm not talking because they're literally mute, although they might be. They might literally be deaf. They might be blind. They might have some, but we're not talking about that. We're even spiritually speaking. You all have friends that unless you bring them to Christ, they will never go themselves. All of you know somebody that needs to sit in the chair next to you. All of you have met people, even on campus, even maybe this week, that perhaps all you need to do is text them and say, let's meet up. Maybe you do need to be taking tiles off a roof or Blowing up a roof, so to speak, making a ruckus, making things awkward to get whoever to Jesus. Because that is what we're called to do, aren't we? They're helpless. They're sheep scattered without a shepherd, torn up, beat up. Maybe it is their own fault. Most likely it is, right? They've chosen to sin. Everybody's born that way. Everybody's born in sin. We know that from Ephesians 2. We know that from Romans 1 through 3. We know that story. We know that. I've read that so many times. I think we have a good theology of the depravity of man by now. 
could probably write me a paper on it. But what are you doing about it? If you know your neighbor is depraved and helpless, what are you doing to get them to Jesus? What are you doing to get them to Christ? Because they cannot do it themselves. Number three, he's able to do all things well because he's able to reach them where they're at. And I think this is the, probably my favorite part of the whole passage. Because I love how Jesus, he, he literally meets this man where he's at. He can't talk. He can't hear. I mean, yeah, Jesus could just, I suppose, go up to him and just go voila and boom. He's, he can hear. But he doesn't do that. He demonstrates such kindness by what? By using what he understands. What do deaf people understand? Some of you know, sign language. They understand sign language. And here's four ways in which Jesus related to this man. And I find this so precious. I find it so heartwarming. So tender in the Lord just to look at this man and, and not just be so quick. Because you have to realize that so many magicians and, and would do their tricks and these frauds, these religious frauds would come in into towns and they would try to work their magic and it, it, would never, it never works, right? I mean, have you ever seen Peach Dragon? Do you ever see that movie? You know, those little knuckleheads, right? Jokers, you know, they bring the, the, the cart in and they're, they're, all these people are deaf and, 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 and blind and they have all these problems. And, and these two guys, right, they come up and they have all these like fake things that like you put the little thing in your ear and you pour this solution in and, and they're, like, they're like saying, oh, I hear now. And they're totally hucksters. They're, they're jokesters. And they're saying, oh, I'll, I'll pay hundreds of dollars for that. Give me that. And of course it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But what does Jesus do? Jesus does, he, what he does is he, he brings this man. He's, it's not a show for him. He's not interested in that. This isn't a Benny Hinn conference. He, he brings this man to the side and he says, look, I want to meet this man where he's at because I love him. He brings him to the side. You see this. It says in verse 33, Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself. He doesn't have anything to prove. Neither do you. You bring someone to the side. Sometimes you're so impressed by what you say in evangelism, you're walking away thinking, hey, didn't I do good? But rather he brings him aside. He's not interested in a show. He's not interested in magic. This is someone who has ignored his entire life. You can imagine he's getting some attention by the miracle worker. This is incredible. You're like, this is your day, right? It's funny because some of you guys don't watch TBN, neither do I, but I think that was a show at one point. But the, the four points I want to point out is I, I think is just absolutely precious is one, he puts his fingers in his ears. And this is interesting because most commentators, they make such a big deal out of these things. Like they, they get so detailed and like, but look at simply this. He's just using sign language because the man is deaf. He puts two fingers in his ears to let the man know 
I know you're deaf. I know what you're going through. I know what it's like. The second thing he does is just a little more stranger, I suppose. (laughs) As he begins to spit and, and puts it on his tongue, but what is he saying? There's a couple things here. One, it was the kind of the prevailing thought of the time that saliva has healing properties. This man knew, perhaps really this is my day. And you might be thinking, well, wait a second. Well, that's kind of like magic, right? I mean, Jesus is going along with that, but just read on. He, He takes it. He says, look, I know you're deaf. I know you're mute. And then he looks up to heaven. He said, oh, by the way, it's not the saliva. That was just to let you know that you can't speak, right? But this is where your healing comes from. And he looks up. And he looks up. He's like, what are you looking at? Oh. (laughs) It's God. He's the only one that can heal. And then what does he do? He does something that I think every good pastor should do in situations where they don't know what else to do. You just sigh. It was like, I mean, he just, I know you're deaf. I know you can't speak. I'm about to do something. But before I do, I want to let you know that I'm right there with you. A sigh could go a long way, can't it? Sometimes that's really the best things you could do. In fact, maybe Job's friends should learn a thing or two, right? Maybe a sigh would have been better. It would have been worth more. You know, some of you can't sigh because you've never gone through anything. But, you know, some of you probably need to sigh for those who have gone through something and ask God for compassion for what they're going through. Because, you know, in this church, there's a lot of people going through different things. You need to know them. You need to ask questions. And I love that Jesus, he takes the time. He's not just, voila, move on. He, 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 he says, look, I know you're the marginalized person of the day. I understand all the things. And even on top of that, religious people say all this sin. And he's like, there is no sin here in the, in the picture. He said, look, come with me away from these people. They're always here for a spectacle. They're always going to be some people always wanting a show. But I want to take you by the side and I want to show you something. And I, I, I can't communicate with you because you won't understand me if I talk to you. But you can certainly understand sign language, gestures. Nonverbal signals. And I love this last part even here. He says something. Ephetha. It's, it, it's, it, just try even doing that right now. Like, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's, he, this, is exa- this is exactly what Jesus said, right? I mean, we, we know it's translated be open. He did not say be open in the Greek. He said it in Aramaic. That's what he spoke. He spoke Aramaic. So as he's saying, the guy's like, no way. 
because he could read lips. And Mark put this little tiny detail in the scriptures. Every word counts, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit has inspired every word down to every jot and tittle. He put this Aramaic word. He doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, Mark didn't put every Aramaic word in there, did he? But he did in this situation. Why do you think that is? Because again, he wanted to show the incredible compassion and kindness that Jesus has for someone who doesn't understand, but yet doesn't understands because he could read lips and Jesus knew he could read lips and says, be open. And all of a sudden, boom, open, no language training. This man, all of a sudden, his ears are open. The impediment of his tongue was gone, which just means that... Um, Impediment, the bonds, the chains, as you can imagine, this prison, this, he's out of prison finally. I mean, if you can imagine this miracle that happens in your life, and you're like, I, I'm just, I, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Let's, I'm, I'm going to tell everybody. And there's, wait, hold on, hold on. I, actually, in this case, don't say anything. What? You mean to tell me you just opened up my mouth and I can hear and I can, like, I hear people. You want me to say nothing? What about that guy? What about the demoniac? The guy that you said, just go tell everybody. We're in the same city. You know that. We're in the same city. Right? Chapter 5, verse 19. Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. That's from the mouth of the Lord. Well, why not in this case? Isn't Jesus a very peculiar person? He's very interesting. That's why you need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, right? You can't just figure it out. Nice little... Theology in the box, and we just on our way. Not with Jesus. He totally modeled what it meant like to be dependent on the Holy Spirit at all times. And why in this case did he say, I want you to be quiet? Because he didn't want it to be turned into some healing ministry. By this time, you know, the word got around. I mean, everybody knew about the demoniac. I mean, that was a pretty big deal. And now this guy, and this guy's like, man, we could be a tag team. Do you know how many people we can reach? This would be amazing. Jesus says, no, I don't want that. And why does he do all things well? Number four is because he goes beyond the miracle to save sinners. To save sinners. He realized that this man needed salvation more than anything else. He needed to hear the gospel. I, I don't think he got saved right away. I mean, yeah, I mean, it surely got his attention, I, was, I would imagine. He said, hold on, before you go, I want you to really understand why I came. Because sure, you could get your little healing and go off and yeah, you, I suppose you could even have your own ministry even without me. And many of them do, don't they? And in this case, he said, no, I want you to be quiet because in Mark 8, which we'll read in a few years, he says, he warned them to tell no one about him and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by what? The elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Do you know the disciples didn't even understand that? let alone this man who didn't even know who Jesus was and didn't even have the privilege of being in the boat with him, right? And, and being with him to feed the 5,000 and all these different things. This man was like, 
you're crazy. That's probably the first words that came out of his mouth. You, you want me to what? And everyone's like, don't listen to him. I mean, considering he's the guy that saved you, right? And opened up your deaf ears. You know, many commentators even say, you know, he was in disobedience. But you know what? I would imagine all of us would be there, right? And in one sense, all of us should. Because when Jesus opens up our deaf spiritual ears and causes us to say Jesus Christ is Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit, we should never stop, right? This causes all of us to can't stop. I just can't stop telling of what the Lord has done in my life. That should be, that should be every Christian, right? On, every, on everybody's lips. One, last, uh, one, one more thing here. Number five, he fulfills his word. That's why he does all things well is because he fulfills his word. Why don't you turn with me to uh, Isaiah 35. One other thing here on the perfect inspiration of scripture. I think you guys would find really encouraging. Mark put this in here for a reason. I think we need to see this. It says in... Verse 36, and he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but more he was ordering them, the more widely they continued to proclaim. In verse 37, and they were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well, and he makes even the deaf hear and the mute to speak. And so let me read verse uh, chapter 35. I'm going to read a few verses, at least up to ch- uh, uh, verse 5 here. The wilderness and the desert will be delighted, and the Arabah will rejoice and flourish. This is chapter 35. And it will flourish profusely and rejoice with rejoicing in the shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of Yahweh or the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God, strengthen limp hands. This is a future. This is Isaiah prophesying the future. He's prophesying. He's saying, look, when you see these things come in the flesh, When you see this happen, you will know that the kingdom is among you. You will know that the Christ is here. And he gave them courage to the weak, to the knees of the stumbling. Say to those with an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. And the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. There it is. And the only other time is a, is a good Bible student would understand that, that this Greek word, unable to speak, this, this, this is only said one other time. There's only once in the New Testament, only once. And there's only one other time in the Old Testament is in what we call the, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is the Septuagint. This is the LXX you might see as a little footnote. Only one time, and that is to speak about this mute that will one day speak of the glory of God. Do you think Mark put that there on purpose? You better believe so. You remember what Mark's goal to the Roman readers is saying, pay attention. That Old Testament Greek Septuagint that you're reading, that word, 
That Greek word is mute is only found one other time now. And I'm using that word here because Jesus has done that. He is here. The kingdom of God is here. Believe him. Trust him. Give your life to him. He's worth it. He's worth it. And I love that in 2 Peter because Peter helped Mark uh, write Mark, remember? And Peter later on would write in his letter, he says this. And I would imagine that he had this even in mind as he helped Mark write this. And using the right words inspired by the Holy Spirit, says in 2 Peter 1, 19 to 20, no prophecy of scripture comes by one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. The very word of God that you're holding in your lap right now is inspired. And every word counts. And everything is meticulously put together to save your soul. To open up your deaf ears. To open up your blind eyes. He does all things well, doesn't he? And I think that this, the reason why they said this, he says he he makes even the deaf hear and the mute speak. Of course, you know that that's what Isaiah was speaking. And he's here. Are you kidding me? This is the one. And he's going to do far more than this. He's going to save people from their sin. And he says this. He has done all things well. Because the miracle, you see, was done modestly. It was done humbly. It was done adequately. It was done graciously. Isn't it? They were looking. They're like, they watched this. And I'm sure they saw it. I'm not saying it was like behind closed doors when Jesus was doing this, but they probably watched. And it wasn't these, these crazy antics you see maybe even on TV and just shouting and trying so hard to, to get a miracle to happen. It was simply just putting fingers in somebody's ears and saying, I understand where you're at, sighing, letting them read their, 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 his lips. And boom, miraculously, he could, he could hear it was done graciously and they looked on from a distance and were saying, he does everything right. He does everything well. There's no blemish in Christ's work. You might think so. You might be going through a trial that you don't even understand. And you might thinking, there's no way he's doing this well. Oh, but he is. Because he does all things well. Now I understand this is a very young church and you haven't gone through much. I understand that. I understand the trials get tougher well into your 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and even on from there. I get that. But you all know people that are going through things and they might even need this word. They might even need to know that God does all things well. It was James Montgomery Boyce. He's a very well-known preacher, commentator. He was diagnosed with terminal cancer years ago. And there were only six weeks from the time he was diagnosed to the time of his death. Many were up distraught. They were frustrated. They were uh, they, they just don't understand how a great preacher like this could go and they just didn't understand why God would take someone like this considering really the inadequacy of preachers today. Why would you take the good one? This is what James Montgomery Boyce said. He says, 
be at peace about this because God does all things well. He does all things well. You see, because this miracle was pointing to something greater. It was pointing to John 11, 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live. And even if he dies, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he says this, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about even after trials or hardships or things that you might go through. And, and here's the reality about a trial. You may, not, you may think, well, I, I mean, that, yeah, certainly that's not as much as this person's going through. But you know, the reality is God says he will take you through various trials suited for you. And even though it might not be as crazy as somebody else's, it still works for you, doesn't it? It still gets your attention. But hasn't he done all things well in your life? You know, J.C. Ryle says this, let us remember it as you look back over the days and even years and in our lives from hour of our conversion, our Lord has done all things well. First, bringing out the darkness, out of, our, out of us the darkness to the marvelous light and humbling us and teaching us in our weakness and guilt and folly and stripping us of all of our idols. Maybe like you, like 1 Thessalonians 1.90, we turn from idols to the living God. Hasn't he done all things well by stripping those idols from you? Choosing all of our portions and placing us where we are and giving us what we have. How well everything has been done. How great the mercy that we have, that we have not had it our own way. He's done all things well. All things well. Think of the past. And I want you to even think about the present and the future. Do you trust him in the things now? Do you trust him now and say, yes, he's doing all things well now. Even in the midst of the trial, he is doing all things well now. I don't have to see the end in order to feel that. I don't have to be at the end of it in order to say that. I can say it now. Let us remember it as we look forward to the days to come. We know not that they might be bright or dark, many or few. But we know that we are in his hands of, in, in, in the hands of him who does all things well. He will not err in any of our dealings. He will take away and give. He will afflict and he will bereave. He will move and he will settle with perfect wisdom at the right time and in the right way. The good shepherd of the sheep makes no mistakes. He leads every lamb of his flock by the right way to the city of habitation. He does all things well, church. Do you believe that? As we close, I just want to read a few things in Job that I think might be really helpful for our people and maybe even helpful for a message to give to maybe someone who's really hurting and struggling Maybe even with the thought of he's clearly not doing all things well. 
And maybe some of us can't even really even be honest and say that and even in our life groups and just say like, you know what, I, I, I'll just be honest, I don't feel like he's doing all things well. Man, I sure want to believe that. But, you know, as I think about it, as I think about the past, as I think about how he's changed my life and how he's delivered me from different things, I will have to admit he has done all things well. And he will do all things well because he never changes. James says that, right? He never changes. But I want you to read, because there was a man in the Old Testament by the name of Job who he for sure (laughs) would say multiple times that I would think that God is not doing all things well. And we look at verse 1 through 5 in chapter 38. Then Yahweh answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by the words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you will make me know. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know understanding. Who will set its measurements? You? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were their bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy and on and on. And in verse 12, have you ever in your life commanded the morning, Job? And caused the dawn, the dawn to know its place? It's a rhetorical, by the way. Can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to you, here we are? Can you do that? Are you in charge of the weather? Did you create the heavens and the earth? Were you there at the beginning, Job? You don't think I do all things well, do you? It's just to level them, to humble them, and to realize who has given wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind. Only God can do that. And then in chapter 40, 1 through 5, then Yahweh answered Job and said, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered Yahweh and said, Behold, I'm insignificant. There it is again. That man is not okay with being insignificant. They're not okay with dying early because they still feel like there's more to go. But when God says it's done and your days are over, he knows. What can I respond to you? I place my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken and I will not answer even twice, I will add nothing more. He had really nothing to say. Nothing to say. And then in chapter 42, and we'll close here. In chapter 42, 1 through 6. I think this is where we all need to be this morning. And Job answered Yahweh and said, I know that you can do all things. Could have said, well, (laughs) I know you could do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I do not understand. Things too marvelous for me, which I do not know. Hear now, and I will speak, and I will ask you, and you make me know. I have heard of you by the hearing of, an ear, of the ear. But now my eyes see you. 
They were blind. I mean, I could see, but they were blind. And now I see, therefore I reject myself. I reject myself and I repent in dust and ashes. What a wonderful way that God worked through this man's life before he restored. Because in, chapter, in verse 10, just a little bit further, he gave him back and he gave him back double and he would see his family who had died and were in heaven. So he really did get back double. And I just want to say this in closing that came across this the other day. I thought it was somewhat humorous, but somewhat sobering. An interviewer asked Robert De Niro, good Italian actor, I suppose. At the end of your days, if you come before God, what will you say to him? De Niro in you know, kind of the cocky fashion. You know what I'm going to say to God? You got some explaining to do. No, De Niro, you have some explaining to do, won't he? Just like Job, you either do it now on this side of the planet, on this side of heaven or the other side. I suppose in Philippians 2 says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But you know, God doesn't have any explaining to do. You know, really at the end of the day, he doesn't, does he? If we're losing a loved one, or we're struggling, whatever thing that we're struggling with in our, whatever it might be, I mean, I suppose you could list hundreds in a room like this. I'll tell you what, God doesn't have any explaining. He's perfect. He's perfect in all his ways, isn't he? And I think the testimony of our life Some of the greatest thing that we could ever say to our neighbor is no matter what we are going through, he does all things well. I don't understand it. But one thing I do know, whether he opens up these blind eyes or deaf ears, he does all things well. Father, we thank you for giving us your word this morning that it does transform our lives. It always has something to speak to us, doesn't it? No matter where we're at, your word is true. It's going to be a good time. So you're going to need your Price is Right name tag, and you're going to get a raffle ticket. Um, so before you come back in, make sure you get a name tag and a raffle ticket. And then we're only going to sit in the two middle sections. So as you come back in, sit in these two middle sections. And uh, the goal is going to be to start at 1.15. So as you're eating lunch and talking, just make sure that you start to make your way back in here a little before 1.15. So, sound good? All right. See y'all soon. If you're on worship, all hands on deck.
way. Hey, that.